RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome back to episode 61 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name's Jamie Bain and today I interview Rich Hunnix who is Head of Performance with Catalan Dragons down in Perpignan in France. Um, Rich, very experienced SNC coach uh, with experience in uh, rugby union, rugby league um, at club and international level uh, and experience with EIS and he's also a board member of the UKCA. So um, he gives tons of really great insights um, about coaching and training and performance so uh, give it a listen and let us know what you think hi rich welcome to the rugby renegade podcast great to have you on uh let's start by you just telling us a little bit about your background how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the the teams and sports you worked in and with yeah uh thanks for having me on i appreciate it uh jamie and uh yeah probably a, a brief summary of my snc career it wasn't a typical pathway I left school um, as a very keen amateur rugby player with a bad ankle injury and decided to go and travel the world a little bit. Ended up working in the hospitality industry in Austria. I subsequently learned German and coached snowboarding for quite a long period, which was actually great with an ankle like mine and a fixed boot, etc. And uh, that's where my love of coaching started. Uh, I was coaching in English in German and a little bit of Dutch um, and decided that actually I wanted to get back to training and training um, training athletes and teams um, and be back in team sport, which is what I'd spent my, my school years playing a lot of rugby, rugby union and league. So um, not to any great level I'd had there. So that spiralled me into my first qualifications and returning back to England where um, I enrolled at university and started my undergrad degree at Leeds Beckett. I, I Immediately started volunteering with amateur teams, individuals, uh, as many things and opportunities as I could get my hands on. As it, it, even back then, it's such a competitive industry. Um, getting involved with with any team that I could, whilst training general population. To be fair, so I was personal training. I was doing general fitness um, advice to to everyone that I could assist and help to broaden my experience it was at that point i was working in a private school and i was able to work with rugby union teams uh, i was lucky to tour with schoolboy teams so i really started in junior development i got an opportunity then with leeds rhinos and started my pathway in pro sport working with junior level athletes um, to snowball that on quite quickly um, I got an opportunity to work with the EIS a couple of years after that, which I did, and that diversified my thinking massively. I met some great characters at the EIS, some quality practitioners that showed me a different perspective towards S&C and athlete preparation other than the team sport environment. So that was uh, invaluable, really. Um, I then went into more, more time. I went back to Leeds, really, in a full-time capacity, was fortunate to drop onto a team that were highly motivated and highly successful uh, and rode, rode a wave with them, picking up some trophies uh, at that point and was exposed to some quality individuals, which taught me a lot, both players and staff. Um, I learned a lot from them. And that then lent on to international jobs with Wales, which was my first one in 2011. 
and then I moved to Salford, which was a new franchise, and then on to, after two years, a permanent full-time role with England into the 2017 World Cup. I finished the role with England and the Rugby League as a head of performance um, with a World Cup final, and I moved to Catalan through a connection, Catalan Dragons, through having worked with Steve McNamara, who was previously the England head coach. So um, I moved my family to France and I've been here now in my third year in France as, as we speak today. So a whirlwind, really, uh, in a nutshell. Yeah, that, there's my, my S&C pathway. Yeah, and tons tons of experiences to draw on from in, in this chat now. Like you're currently in France, and obviously everyone's in a similarish situation. But how has how has COVID nineteen affected you guys with with your season? And is there any news about what's going to happen moving forward or anything? The season was really in its infancy after a, a really really good pre-season period. I felt this year we'd had a really good pre-season. My third one here, and it was probably the most productive. Um, yeah, the COVID-19 has affected us significantly. The French have been very, very strict on the legislation. So we've had to, we've had now four weeks out of training, which initially is, um, for most S&C guys, uh, I would suggest that you like to be in control. We like to be in control of our program, our training loads, what guys are doing and what they're not doing, and certainly have a, a strong influence. It's become a period where, you had to you have to relax a little bit and understand that we're not going to have that influence um the scenario that we're in all of my players are the catalan players are training at their homes they've got a variety of equipment they've got a variety of facilities amenities um and i'd be I'd be very honest they've had to be creative so we've broken down the period we're four weeks in we had two weeks of general um, training as I would call it general preparation we're now having a little bit more specific in a two week block which has been a bit more detailed in feedback they've got sessions they've been asked to do and then we will depending on what the French government allow us to do we will then periodise according to what we can do whether that's a mini pre-season before we go back into competition or we were just discussing a couple of days ago potentially saying to the players look just stand down and have a rest but fortunately, the nature of the beast with our players is, um, and a lot of pro and even amateur guys out there that are training, training is your medicine and training is what you like to do and what you base your routine around. So we we feel we've got a lot of good guys on our on our bus at the moment, as I would call it, and they're, they're keen to train. So uh, I'm not going to take that away. And it's working with the individuals and working with the facilities and ac- and, and accessing what they can do rather than worrying about what they can't do, I think, in this period. So at the moment, it's fast and fluid, and um, we'll, I have to put a big big amount of trust in them. But I have realised how much they do actually listen, and sometimes we feel that athletes maybe don't listen or don't respond or are spoon-fed, but credit to this group, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there, and you've seen it all across the web at the moment, people being creative and, and just training, training's training, get out there, do something, make it make a goal make a target stick to it work to it whatever that may be something is quite often better than nothing as long as you're not going down a route that would would get you injured potentially would be my view yeah definitely um yeah creativity is definitely the key there and i'm sure you know i'll know and, and you'll know those certain players who probably this is one of their best parts of their career they're just able to train all the time so um definitely good points there. i know you touched on obviously the kind of injury risk and there's a few people 
coming around in the press and, and making statements about um, you know how we come back once once you know the decision is or lockdown's over and the decision is what's happening with the season where it's going to start um, how how do you think it's best to deal with that you know looking at chronic acute loading and things like that yeah I don't think there's any sport particularly rugby high collision rates rugby union or rugby league such a physical demanding competition that you can you, by rights you can just go so flick the switch tomorrow we're going to play without suitable exposure to contact, running load, speed exposure, etc., of which there's a huge amount of research on. So we'd be fools and the um, the powers that be would be foolish not to take the advice of of suitable suitably qualified performance guys who, you know, you need to prepare guys to play. Otherwise the injury risk, as we all know, would be would be significant. So yes, you need to build up that chronic load um, and if you go straight into a really acute dose of high collision high contact if you've played the game if you've not played the game whatever level I, re- I remember going back to when I returned from traveling and I had a couple of amateur games and I remember how sore I was from playing a uh, Pennine Division 4 Rugby Union you think you know this is a top level I've got 120 kilo guys running into each other and absolutely decimating themselves. How are we going to prepare them? Go back to basics and um, we have to have a preparation period is probably my answer for that. However short or long it is, we don't know. Um, and it, again, focus on what we can do within that period. Respond to the player's feedback, which is probably absolutely key. That you know, We have an idea about loads. We have, a, we have our... Um, our acute chronic loads, we have our databases coming in with all of our information, but I, I very much encourage people in this period, coaches or players, to look at it holistically as well as to what are you, what are your athletes saying? Or if you are the athlete, you're the player, how are you feeling? And and what, what is your body, how is your body responding to this? What is unique in rugby league to have a pre-season and a short in-season and then an enforced stand-down and potentially reignite the season? So... Uh, it's a blank canvas and a new chapter in someone's book at the end of this journey I would say yeah it'll be be interesting to see how different teams kind of kind of deal with the situation Um, and you've touched on something there obviously you know like we've got the science and the data behind sort of uh, principles we use but then also big point you made was communicating with the players and figuring out in your environment how to do it and and I believe this is something you spoke about I think it was the UKSCA conference um, and had kind of good feedback about your talk then it's about kind of adapting your approach to fit your circumstances could you kind of elaborate on on your approach to that? Yeah the talk at the UKSCA was based around um, two contrasting environments and the two environments were the England Rugby League set up into the World Cup which was uh, pretty much unlimited budgets, the best players in the in in the Super League competition and the NRL that could represent England, working with Ferraris, I would term it, really, really high quality programme was available due to lack of budget restraints, etc. Which in contrast to that, um I was talking about my first experience with the Dragons where we had a certain caliber of player some were international level some weren't we had a certain amount of resources available um, and the the budgets just weren't as open to 
maybe the technologies or the activities that I wanted to pursue to develop performance. So adapting to suit the environment and chameleon coaching, as I termed it at the time, is vital. Um, is one program better than the other? No. What is the end point that we want to get to? Well, we want athletes to develop. We need athletes to be ready to play. We need players to perform to win, giving the opportunity to win. So um, ultimately in performance sport, it is about win or loss. If it's amateur level rugby, yeah, you want to win and lose. But at junior level as well, junior level, it's probably more poignant to talk about development and asking how as practitioners we can develop younger players for long-term careers which is is what what the role is at that level and it should be rather than the win outcome so differentiating um quite quite simple strategy what what can we win what can we win in our environment so i'll give some examples specifically and maybe that gets people thinking um athlete monitoring i've just done a huge project on that um with Leeds Beckett Uni and athlete monitoring can be ultimately very complex with a high-end £50,000 app-based system that gives you every metric under the sun or it could be five modified questions on a daily basis in the changing room that all players can access and they can grade on a simple scoring of one to five. Simple or complex all we actually really need from that process is a really clear outcome. But once we've got the outcome on a wellness questionnaire, it's not really what the outcome is, it's what we do with that information. So are we gonna adjust our training based on a response of players saying they are very fatigued and they've slept very poorly? Yes, we probably should. If we ignore that on its simplistic level, we're probably naive blasé or just not doing what our job effectively by ignoring that information whether i got that through hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of technology or i got that information through asking a player directly so that example for me was to simplify it at catalans make it very easy to get the information and then show the players that we were acting upon the information so they built a level of trust with us but that was that wellness as a as a simple example and you could say the same across your strength programs, across your GPS, which a lot of guys in in rugby are are using quite avidly, but how effectively do we use the information we're given and how in your environment, whether that's an amateur or how does it apply to your environment? Because often the Hollywood stuff doesn't actually give you much value. It's the the simplistic basics that um, apply to your environment would work, um, and that that would be different for everybody. So I hope that sums up that in 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 a, in a way that's understandable without talking too explicitly. No, definitely, yeah, makes a lot of sense. There's no point gathering all that data or, or spending lots of money on gathering that data, especially and if you're not actually acting upon it and and using it to. To develop your program, that's that's the whole the whole point of it. Uh, Probably add on to that, Jamie. The it, we all talk about in our environments, either player or coach. It would be great to have. I would challenge every practitioner to ask the question. It would be nice to have, but what do we really need to have? What do we really need that's going to give us a performance benefit that's going to prepare us to win or to play well or to make us injury resilient? as such 
um, what do we actually need? And when you break it down, what you actually need is not that much. If you, you know, look at it on a base level, it would be nice, of course, to have 22 racks with 160 kg per rack. It would be. But what we actually need is a barbell and some weight in a strength setting, for example, to put it really basically. So, um, and quite often in team sport, unless you've got unlimited budgets, that's key. What do we really need? What's going to give us a return in the program? Yeah, definitely. And, and like you say, I guess you've learned that from having the experience of, of being in both camps, having you know unlimited budget, you know, awesome players, uh, access to loads of different uh, technology, and then obviously being in another environment where you don't have all that and you've, you've got to work out what you need and, and what you can get the most out of in that environment. So it's definitely good points. Now, in your current environment at the Dragons, um, You've got, obviously not at the moment, but normally in your normal in-season, you've got a pretty tough fixture list in terms of travel, obviously going uh, traveling to the north of England every couple of weeks. Um, what what strategies have you used to kind of combat this and, and keep your players in good shape? Uh, a unique role um, at the Dragons, like you say, traveling probably every 10 days within in-season. Not a huge journey, but on average it takes 10 hours in perspective, unless you're flying private and the quickest we've ever done it is six hours. So 10-hour journey, yeah, has an impact. It's, it's basically a working day, um, has a significant impact on the program. But what we did from the start was look for players and look for people to be involved in our program that accepted that was, that's the animal. That's what we've got to do. So it's not, oh, feel sorry for us. We understood what we signed up for. And so how do we deal with it? We have manoeuvred our strategy a little bit over the last three years. I thought I knew a lot about travel when I came off the World Cup, having city hopped weekly with the England programme over an eight-week period. Um, and then I'm now three years in and having done um, a post-grad project based on, on this topic, feel like I understand a little bit more, but there's still a way to go. And everything that we do applies to our group and every group is different. I say that quite a lot. So we've had to evolve with the group. To put it really simply, we started off with a policy of flying early, prepare well by training in the UK the day before, and then playing the game and getting out quick. So in early, out quick. All the standard processes within that, probably the key things to highlight were using compression when we travel, hydrating appropriately on the journey, using electrolyte supplements, etc., to maintain hydration status, which is often overlooked. Make sure that we didn't miss meals and the nutrition that you were, was available to you in the travel process was key. So whether you're traveling five hours on a coach or you're traveling 10 hours on a plane and a, and a coach, you need to make sure that your nutrition and your energy intake is sufficient and appropriate all the way through that. There are no blips within it because that two days or a day before a game, anyone who works in sports nutrition or in performance would tell you that that's a big no-no. Even at a, a basic level, if you're only fueling two days before the game really, really well, that's certainly a big help than missing meals, etc. So there's this window of opportunity to to provide quality nutrition where we used external suppliers, guaranteed our meals at certain times, even if that meant taking the meal onto the plane and eating eating on in transit rather than ordering travel food is everyone goes to airports and you, you 
staring you in the face and there's a baguette or there's a sandwich or there's it's not ideal for our our guys to prepare that way so we provide the food we then get to get to the um to the uk and uh mobilize recover massage etc train um the day before the game as we normally would and then prepare accordingly our view having a group of family orientated players and their feedback was that they wanted to get back to their families quickly so quite often in the last two years we'd be taking the first possible flight out of the uk back to france that in itself led to huge um huge problems in terms of our sleep deprivation. So we're finishing games at 11 o'clock at night, having kicked off at 8, you'd be back at the hotel at 11, looking to leave the hotel at 4 a.m. for a 6.30 flight so we could be back in France at midday. If you put a game on top of sleep deprivation, on top of dehydration, on top of probably a little bit of alcohol intake because we allowed the boys to have a drink and relax, we'd been away usually for three days at that point, the sum total was actually a really high level of residual fatigue so that we're coming home almost feeling travel fatigue magnified into what even for the guys who hadn't touched alcohol into a hangover type feel um, and we thought we could win that back through the week and wives and families and the guys would be happy but it, it really turned out we're looking at it the other way now so we flipped things round. We travel in quite late. We do all of our training as much as our training as we can in France, and then we stay late. So we arrive late and depart late, and we we focus on eight to ten hours of quality sleep after the game. Uh, we focus on eating appropriately the day after the game. Rehydrating appropriately, and coming back well rested. And that actually, if you imagine it as a, a bucket, which one of my guys turned this to me, I thought it was a great analogy, is you know we've got the bucket, it's constantly leaking energy, leaking water, but if we're taking less out of the top, we've got less of a problem, and we've, um, we've focused on that end phase of our, what we call our prep cycle being really, really good, so that we're ready to play, but we're also ready to train again in our next training week, in our next cycle. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. You, you know, you could have just kind of said what you, what your approach is now, but I like how you kind of showed how that's developed over time, and and you've and you've looked at what you were doing and how you could adjust that to get better results. That's really interesting. Um, now, this is a question we ask uh, all our uh, guests on the podcast, and it's what what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? In terms of youth development, young players. I would say that not paying enough interest in developing the fundamentals, get strong, become competent in really good movement patterns, get good advice or get advice and then work on those as a youth player, um, even through 17, 18, 19, 20. Front rowers in Super League typically don't mature until they're 24 25 so you can still be working on really good quality strength training that in turn would make the individual in my view more resilient and we're playing a tough sport the guys are very 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 tough and exposed to huge collisions as i've said so being strong is key and and not neglecting mobility and soft tissue work at any level that's from the start of your career to the end of your career 
the, the most experienced guys I've worked with who are in the best physical condition are the guys who spend the time doing their joint mobility, doing the stuff that's not, not glamorous. It's not what people see and it's not the Hollywood stuff, but it's getting yourself in a position, excuse the, excuse the pun there, to play and to perform and enjoy playing consistently. Come round to that word then, be consistent. Whatever you're doing, do it religiously well. Don't just do it once and then come back to it two months later. Do it, do it again, do it again. Master the basics, get really good at that stuff, and the rest will follow. Some Again, some of the top players I've been lucky enough and top coaches that I've worked with have have instilled that, and the basics done well is absolutely key. Um, you know, if, you, if you're no good at, you know, clean and jerk, get really good at deadlift because just need the first pull and the deadlift to affect your rugby performance in some way you know don't don't worry about what you can't do um yeah that's probably probably it people trying to do too much too soon and then you end up injured or your performance maybe isn't as good as you hoped um and be patient you know um if i was talking through an snc coach's lens the biggest mistake i see and i think is people taking jobs because they want a job rather than taking the right job if that if that makes sense there are lots of people wanting to get on the snc pathway on a ladder but i would challenge younger or any practitioner to say you know don't just take a job for the sake of it look at whether it will benefit you does it suit your style your skill set what you how you want to develop as a coach um, and and be it takes a brave guy to turn down a job or a brave a brave practitioner. Sorry, shouldn't be um, selecting just the males there because there's some top quality female SNCs out there as well. So take the stuff that um, you feel you can develop in, you can offer quality to, rather than uh, making a mistake of ending up in a role that probably isn't isn't for you for the sake of taking a role. Yeah, definitely good good advice for both players and coaches there. Um, now moving on. Uh, this is something we've had a few questions about um, recently and it's um, aerobic training is kind of often looked down or at the moment tends to be looked down and and like high intensity interval training um, is proposed as better now where do you see the the place for aerobic training is and and how do you train it with your guys okay the fitness world in my view uh, there's some great research out there there's some good stuff coming out from loads of quality guys but I think a lot of the basics, the fundamentals, it's one big cycle. And we're seeing things coming now that we used 15 to 20 years ago. Um, and they'll keep things that we do now will be used again in, in 10 to 15 years. There's not a lot of really, really new stuff out there. Um, I had a laugh with an international coach who came to watch a session and he said, I can't believe you're running coat hangers. You know, that's old school. You guys are all a new school. And I said, Nah, it, it is old school. It has been around for a while, but it works. So going to the aerobic conditioning, um, where it fits in everyone's program will be unique. But for, for us in, in the Dragons, we use in our general prep phase, in our first three to four weeks of our eight to ten week preseason, certainly focus on aerobic conditioning using um, some linear running, using some different forms of, of running drills that have been around for a long time. Um, do we only use that? No, we use a suitable dose and a suitable res- um, 
suitable plan within our training week that gives us the exposure we need but we are certainly not training aerobically for for aerobic sake and then you come into certain types of player and certain positions and individuals that may need aerobic work but prefer to do it in a different modality for example on the bike or in some other way shape or form um, and I would challenge practitioners to and athletes to work with what suits them and what suits their their group um, and the player you know there's experienced guys out there who will really respond um, as players at amateur level or pro level to being given work that suits their style or their preference there's nothing worse than athletes not buying in and then is the is the response I don't have a an answer to this but is the response as effective particularly when you come to aerobic preparation um, which can be quite mundane in, in by nature that you know where does that fit well it probably fits in a suitable dose for a suitable certain individuals within team sports um, and maybe potentially the group at times as well yeah the very, very good answer obviously I mean the classic answer for all these kind of questions is it depends isn't it on 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 the player on the team and and the environment um, I, I guess an example from kind of following your train of thought is if, if you've got an older player who you know he's had you know 15 pre-seasons in his legs and you know has a bit of a tendinopathy history you perhaps put him on a, a bike rather than running him that's a kind of classic example of how you adapt based on your on your players that the type of thing you mean yeah absolutely yeah groups within groups there's not really a one size fits all um although having said that it's really easy to get dragged into trying to differentiate from absolutely everyone and if you're team you're working with a schoolboy team trying to differentiate i'll use strength as well as an example and i'll use strength and conditioning let's use the two broad terms if you were differentiating for 25 schoolboy rugby players on a strength program and differentiating for 25 schoolboy rugby players on a general preparation aerobic conditioning plan and you are one coach i would ask you how the hell are you doing that you know good good luck it just doesn't happen and you would guarantee by the time you'd written strength program one for player one by the time you got to strength program 25 you would still be reverting back to if it was a lower strength program you'd be looking at basics of squatting deadlifting it's not and derivatives of those two if you you know if you're looking at running programs you'd be looking at um, potentially MAS uh, derivatives versions of that and then how do you actually deliver that in a team sport when you work with individuals completely different conversation because you you're working one-to-one -one. but if you're working with a group you have to be prepared to go compromise and say this model would work it will give us some effect it will give us a training response and therefore it is applicable to my group it may break down further rugby union and rugby league have positional differences which are significant so for example rugby union it may be, might be front five or even front row and back five 
and in terms of lock and back row, running different programs, different distance, different durations, and that might get a little bit more technical. And then the back line certainly different again. We have the same in rugby league with our hookers and halfbacks being our high mileage guys and our fullback, and then our, our middle guys having a, a very different demand who are doing a lot more tackling and short distance running. But if you start getting too complicated and too Hollywood Jeff, you'll get lost in it and end up giving nothing rather than going, what is my target? What's my outcome? If it's general aerobic preparation, how am I going to get it? How am I going to apply that effectively as one coach with a group or an individual? Be really, really clear on that. And if you get lost in it, go back to that reference point. How am I going to apply this from my group? One of my simple examples, we go back to what you just asked Jamie and said on that, is I've got three or four gaps in the pre-season period. Senior players would do one of the aerobic sessions a week off feet on an alternative bit of kit. Simple as that. It would marry up in RPE, it would marry up in duration, but they would take the load off their running so that it didn't expose them unnecessarily to injury risk through overrunning in their particular yeah excellent stuff now um this next question we, we kind of touched on it uh earlier in terms of you know how to come back after once the season gets back up and running it's it's um in training there is a need to kind of replicate game intensity but it comes with you know its own injury risks so how do you go about balancing that risk and reward in training uh, minimum dose response first answer so what exactly what we need and not more than we need um, we're quite stringent on I try and guide the coaches quite stringently on not just doing contact training for training's sake we have a really clear outcome of what we need to do because contact's pivotal at the right time in our program and um, the speed that we train at is essential yet yeah, to replicate game demand so we we look quite closely at um, as a lot of programs do the drills that we do our core drills what they elicit in terms of demand positionally and then how we need to apply those in terms of time that we we train for um, by doing that and um, having a plan for training which is quite detailed and then evolving that plan as we're coaching we find that to be reasonably effective you can never say it's perfect it's never foolproof and what i will I will not get is too hung up on numbers. Sometimes within a session, if we're training opposed, we're looking at a game speed session, we're training against our reserve grade at the Dragons, and we feel we want to go for five more minutes than our original plan. That is the art of coaching and going, yeah, we're going to go here because we feel we can get some value, some high quality work. But what we would then do is reflect on that after the session and say, where do we need to now move in the in the, our training load to accommodate that um, that fluid nature of actually coaching. You know, you can't sit by the numbers, um, and and it's not it's not a de- a deci- decisive um, sorry decisive um, way of doing it. In my opinion, you have to coach what's in front of you. So, um, if I was to put it in simplistic terms, for planning your training week as a coach or as a player we would look to do our contact session two to three days after the game so when the players were most recovered 
but at least two to three days before the next game so that we were we were maximizing what we got from that session but minimizing risk so most recovered and an opportunity to recover again within that period within pre-season slightly different you can change that frequency um, and we also categorize how we look at our contact work and our speed work is it linear speed is it multi-directional is it um, attack wrestle defensive wrestle is it contact or is it technical work within a contact situation so there's a number of different categories and, and guys out there doing again breaking that down in a lot of detail um, is really useful but um, go go to basics keep it simple would be my, my, my advice yeah I think I'd go back to um, the start of your answers it's kind of all, all plans are written in pencil and they, they need to be adaptable and you've got to kind of give the coach times when they can you know if they feel the need they need to do more then you've kind of got to let them at times and you can't be you can't rule with an iron fist with your your watch saying that's that's the time you know there's yeah. it's it's the kind of balance in the art and science of it isn't it and like say if, if you give if you give maybe a few minutes here and there to the art then you have to take a bit later on and that's fine and, and coaches are usually pretty open to that if, if you've you know it's give and take isn't it they'll they'll allow, allow that if, if you've given them a bit of leeway earlier on absolutely i just i just feel on this you you have to know what your end point is where do you want to be at the end of a training period or a week or a day and then how you get there the journey is never really linear whether it's one session or it's a week or it's a month it will always um it will always change so a reference maybe ukca which is um i think we're going to talk about a bit further on but i remember doing my ukca case study and you you required to provide a, an annual periodized plan on an A4 sheet of paper and the annual A4 periodized plan that you present in a job interview or or at something like that is is really as good as the day it was written on because the next morning when four of you guys have got upset stomachs and aren't able to train the first bit of your plans changed therefore the domino effect is that that full annual plan you've shifted your strength program by a week already you've shifted your running loads by a a day already Um, it's just in the realities of sport whether it's amateur or professional it's fast and fluid if you're playing at an amateur level and you have to stay late at work and you miss your gym session your periodized planning has changed so don't get too hung up on yeah it's it's there in black and white therefore we have to do it you know it's there in black and white yeah but you know how do you the phrase I've used a lot over the years is how do you win it back? If you have to change, you have to adjust, you have to move because of some contraindicator coming into your program, something changing it well, how do you win that back and get yourself back in a position to be ready to play, whether that's short or long term, and perform and try and win? Yeah, definitely. Definitely great great answer. There. And yeah, you mentioned the UKCA and that's my next question. As I know you're you're on the board of the UKCA and what can we expect to see from, from them as an organisation in the future? The UKCA, um, being led at the moment by Chris Bishop as chair, um, has got, in my opinion, a really, a fairly young, I include myself in that, young and dynamic board. There's been some brilliant work done prior to my arrival on the board. I've been on the board for three years now. This will be coming into my fourth and probably potentially the end of my, my term as the director. But the the most recent work with the UKCA has been to try and formalise the pathway for strength and conditioning coaches through 
through their journey, the journey that we a lot of us have took over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, the UKCA, for me personally, provided a reference point early in my career. I understand that it's not for everybody, but I do feel that and I endorse the UKCA avidly because the quality of the organization in my undoubtable and the resources that are coming out now um, and that are being shared are all there to benefit SNC practitioners. So the pathway that I've just talked about really um, really work closely with Simpspa to try and formalize the professionalism of the industry um, and create some more industry standards and get some more recognition for our industry. Uh, we have there's four tiers within that. I'm going to try and go through this reasonably quickly. There's an SNC coach, SNC uh, trainer, which sits at the first level, which previously was the foundation, then an accredited SNC chartered member, and then a chartered fellow. So the chartered status gives more recognition to the profession. It's not a hierarchy as such to say, I am better or this because I sit at this level, I am better than you. I think what most SNC guys would find is that as we've got now, um, if someone knocks on my door or drops me an email and says, could you help me or could you tell me about or could we discuss? Absolutely, an open door policy. There's no hierarchy as such in my view. There are guys who've been in the industry over a long period of time which really um, warrant being able to have an opinion, in my view, and that those guys probably sit higher end of the the pathway, and then there's the younger end of the pathway, or the more general end of the pathway, I would say. There's a lot of PE teachers out there. I know I'm friends with quite a few who have an avid interest now, the way schoolboy and schoolgirl sport is going, that strength and conditioning in general population is, is more and more prevalent from a health perspective as well. So opening up some formal support for guys at that level who are maybe PE teacher, PE teacher qualified, but want some foundation in SNC training. That's where the SNC trainer comes in. So this formal pathway that gives people a reference point. That's exciting. Put that all together and how that's evolving with Chris and the, the rest of the board's work with the resources available on the website, the UKCIQ has all of the presentations from the conf conferences over the years. Some brilliant speakers at the UKCA conferences, uh, um, you know, that I've seen in the last couple of years. And the fact that you can access that material, particularly it's become prevalent right now during this COVID-19 that what normally is an industry where you struggle to get CPD because you're working, you're delivering, you're coaching, we are, or you're playing and you're working and you're trying to keep keep yourself ticking along it's now a time to to get access to that stuff and and the the organization is doing a huge amount in terms of trying to make that access available open up connect people in the industry um, so for me there are no negatives and i believe chris bishop as a chair would say the same as myself here is that we're really open to feedback there is a Date-wise, we're now on the 10th of April today. There's a board Q&A. If you follow UKCA on social media, then you get all the information there on Twitter or Instagram, etc. There's plenty of information flowing. So keep in touch with the organization. If you want to be involved, get involved. And uh, certainly, I think employers value that now. So it's, it's quite well valued 
that and as an employer I would look to someone who's maybe gone through that process not unequivocally but I would certainly hold them in high esteem that they persevered to go through the accreditation get themselves onto that chartered member status etc because that is a it's a coaching journey in itself and developing as a practitioner over that we're all doing that anyway as we as I am week to week trying to learn more about what what I can do in my program to improve our performance so yeah cool and on that note talking about the, the pathway and the journey as a coach what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach um, be patient I've mentioned not taking jobs for the sake of taking jobs be enthusiastic be humble open yourself up to as many opportunities as you can and offer offer yourself based on your skill set it, it's probably key to get a blank piece of paper or a diary and write down maybe in my view three things that you feel you're good at as an S&C coach and three things that you maybe think you're not and everyone will have strengths and weaknesses identify those work on the weaknesses play to your strengths and don't try and be all things to all men some great coaches that I've worked with and took influence from one of them Neil Taylor who anyone in Welsh weightlifting will will know Neil time or I think he must be about 80 now if he if he ever hears this he'll shoot me but um, Neil said Neil said to me early on I asked him about sprint training a, who, a current rugby union international um, and we were working with this kid at 15 he's currently playing in the England setup. and I said what about sprint training Neil what are you going to do with him on that and we were, we were S&C together with him Neil was influencing the program from an England perspective at the time and he said you know what I know nothing really about I would never qualify myself to talk about sprinting I'm a really really confident Olympic lifting coach strength coach that's what I'm going to focus on we'll go and find someone that can deliver that speed component and that technical ability and it, 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 the message was look don't try and be all things to all men which is absolutely um, critical we're often asked in our sport settings to oh can you give me some advice on nutrition well look I'm not a nutritionist I've done some study in that area but that's not so hand that over be prepared to say as an individual that's not my area therefore point something in that direction um, to someone that is and that takes a brave practitioner and when you're in the young end of your career um, that's tough because you want to work you want to appear to know in my opinion what, what you're saying and, and be valued but um, I guarantee the players um, that you work with will value you highly through the skills that you, you are very strong at rather than trying to be average at everything try and focus on your strengths so hopefully that's uh, enough advice from from a, yeah, a yeah, reasonably well, that's, that's, that's great advice just, and any books or resources you'd recommend? Obviously, you mentioned the UKCA um, resources. Um, yeah. I'm, normally, in day-to-day -day practice, I get very little time to read. But having just spent the last three years doing a, a postgrad project, I've spent more time reading research papers than I probably ever did in the five to seven years prior when I was just coaching. And that, that's been eye-opening for me. Um, in terms of 
resources. I think reading around other things is essential. If your life revolves around just strength and just conditioning and just rugby or just football, I think you can become really polarized about what you're looking at. So broadening your mind, reading alternative texts. I, I personally have been reading a lot of stuff in business. My favorite book in the last two years has been Shoe Dog, the, um, the book around um, Phil Knight and the yeah, formation right. of Nike. You know, it, it just opened my eyes. It's something that I was, I felt and I identified that I wasn't that comfortable when I spent time with the rugby league. I was managing big budgets um, and looking at things through a different lens with it, the England programme, as opposed to coaching, warm-ups, preparation, mobility, etc., speed. Um, and I thought, you know, I have to get better at this side. So reading stuff from a business perspective for me, for example, being Shoe Dog or um, really, really open my mind. Um, and it gets you away from your normal thinking. Uh, and a term that was used by a, a former director of mine was to get in my helicopter. And that analogy is just getting up above it all sometimes, whether that's through your training, through reading, through looking at something different, speaking to someone different. It might be someone who's a, a really, really high profile business leader, if you can get some of the time or whatever, just opening your mind. Um, and then probably my second, going back to going back to actual literature, one of my favorite books, I think this is around our our network is Bravo to Zero, uh, which is the, the story of um, the SAS in Iraq um, and the challenges that they went through. My my underlying appreciation on that text is just how far you can push the body, how far we can actually push our bodies and we're in physical performance. What you think you can do and what you can actually do when you're exposed to something. Um, Quite often we need to be strategic in how we're exposing people at this level, but you, your mind is really, uh, really important in coping with physical challenges. So that for me is a great example and an easy read. Um, if, if, if you've not read it, you know, it, that's probably from 1980 something so 80, 86 maybe as a guess so that's a reasonably old text so they're, they're my few and I'm saying probably broaden your mind as much as you can with as many things as you can there's no there's no no's there's never doing anything wrong um, but sit reflect review how can you add value to a program or, or your personal practice through that yeah definitely a lot of the uh, the guests on the podcast have, have sort of echo the same you know look at any different area even if it's completely unrelated you, you'll find things that you can carry over to your own practice or the way you do things so yeah business is is a common one and like economics and then then maybe things that are related to physical development but in different fields because yeah we often get pigeonholed into our you know what's kind of popular for S&C coaches to read so definitely look outside the box that's great advice uh, so lastly I know we're, we're cutting short on time now Rich but uh, where can people learn more about you good question uh, I'm not I'm not a huge um, social media man I use this was the end of the the last podcast I did I use Bookface, as I call it for my private and family and um, you know humoring my wife and you know the odd family photo and happy anniversary and all that jazz um, I, I'm on Twitter and I'm on 
the gram. I'm not an avid user. Uh, I prefer to pick up a phone, do a FaceTime, you know, have a chat. My biog's on the UKCA website. Um, you know, anybody wants to make contact, chat travel, chat rugby, chat SNC. Yeah, cool. Absolutely get in contact. Um, but I'm as keen to chat with other people and learn from them as, as you know, I would in, if I, anyone would be with me. So how, how to learn more about me? Yeah, if you want to get in contact, by all means do. Um, I'm not the quickest at responding due to, you know, I try and balance life a little bit out of work and give my kids the time they deserve and probably important to have the, those values as well as being a family man away from away from rugby. But um, I, I hope everyone's found that engaging. I think my Twitter is it's at Rich Hunnicks. If you can spell it right first go, then, you know, you deserve a PhD. <laughs> W's in the middle and the S's at the end. Um and then I think on Instagram, similar. I couldn't even tell you. You see, I'm I'm that far out of touch. But I'm showing my age here. You see, I'm showing me. <laughs> no, we're we're all those we're guys of course. Who use it, and it's great. Read some great resources there. But um, um, again, if I was saying to any young practitioner, go out, speak to people, engage with people. Um, you, you know, you don't learn anything from someone. You can say whatever you want on a social media post. It means nothing. Look someone in the eye, engage, get a feel for the way they respond. And uh, obviously this is an audio podcast. Uh, I've actually been doing it in my swimming trunks because it's 38 degrees in France. But that's, some, you know, just for, just for you. You don't know exactly what you're dealing with until you engage with someone, um, you know, face-to-face. So use that, do that, and, uh, yeah, hopefully... Um, people have found this of some value yeah I'm sure they have awesome stuff thank you and we'll um, we'll of course share links so they don't have to worry about your spelling Hunnix. Um and uh, and they can get in touch with you via that um, and of course recommend they do um, Rich thanks so much for your time um, I guess now would be the time to let you get out and enjoy that sun with the family but uh, thanks very much and all the best pleasure thanks for having me so some great information from Rich there uh, thank you for sharing the time with us and, and your information so some great information there thank you rich for sharing that with us um some real good insights specifically i thought about the the way you're dealing with recovery around travel and and everything you put in place there some great insights and you know how you deal with aerobic training and i think the big the big out so there you go some great information uh rich thank you very much for sharing that with us uh really interesting about how you've dealt with the, the travel demands of, of working with Catalan Dragons in, in Super League and having to travel that much uh, and also uh, how you deal with aerobic training, how you, how you um, deal with, I guess, all adapting to all the situations and players. Uh, that's the big take home from me of, of adapting to your environment. Um, so tons of great information. Uh, really appreciate that. So guys, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, whatever you use for podcasts. And of course, give us a five-star review and keep checking us out on the social media channels and of course rugbyrenegade.com until next time thanks for listening to the rugby renegade podcast for more quality rugby strength and conditioning information check us out at rugbyrenegade.com rugby renegade building machines